Welcome to Forest Works, a half-hour weekly show about forestry in British Columbia through conversation with people in the know. We go past the rhetoric and get to the facts about this important industry. I'm your host, Stuart Muir. Tune in here at Radio NL, Saturdays at 7 a.m. as we focus on the people, places, and stories of this important, often complicated industry that drives the whole BC economy. We've got a podcast too. Check it out at forestworks.ca. And here we are with Charlie Rensby. Charlie is a councillor with Burns Lake. He's serving his second term. He's also involved very closely in the forest industry locally in that part of the province. He's coming on today to talk about his his own forest story, which is a fascinating one. And he's going to tell us about some recent uh, events and developments in, in the world of government as it pertains to forestry. So welcome, Charlie. Hello, Stuart. Thanks for having me on. Thanks very much. Um, Charlie, we've known each other for years now. I love catching up with you because I always learn what's happening around Burns Lake and and the, the district. Um, you're every day out there working hands-on the tools in, in forestry. So that's what makes you so connected to things. And that's why I always enjoy talking with you. Uh, tell everyone, though, what is it you do in forestry? Um, so as a day job, I am a logging truck driver. I, uh, so that's how I make my money because politics doesn't pay yet. <laughs> and, um, I'm also deeply involved with forest policy through the village of Burns Lake and our partners around the community. Mm-hmm. And recently you were at the union of BC municipalities. You're one of the many delegates from all of the civic, uh, government organizations across the province. And you took part in that. I know that you were there for a number of reasons. One of those though was forestry in particular. A uh, particular forest issue we're hearing a lot about, and that's old growth. So what is this issue? Can you just give us a little nutshell description of what's going on with this issue? You know, t- to describe this issue, you have to look at it from two sides. So you have to look at it from the urban side, which is old trees look nice, old forests look nice, so therefore we stop the logging, old trees everywhere. However, from the realist actually being on the ground in a forest community point of view, it's absolute idiocy. Because while old growth forests down on the coast may grow to four, five, six hundred years, in the interior, they like to grow to 80 to 130, and then they catch fire and burn everything down. That's quite a contrast. Big contrast. Huge. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that makes it a fire-based ecosystem in the interior in ways that it isn't everywhere in the province. Precisely, yes. Mm-hmm. So you've got quite a thriving forest industry in, in Burns Lake. Can you tell me a little about how there are uh, dependencies on the forest industry there? Uh, so our entire community uh, involved, which includes First Nations and Indigenous peoples, is completely reliant on forest industry right now. Um, we have two mills, uh, pellet plants, and uh, we've had a couple other small mills that shut down in the recent future or recent history, sorry, but, um, everyone here is either working for forestry or working in a sector that supports forestry. Now that can be everything from healthcare to groceries, to parts, all the way up to sawmill workers and loggers. Everyone is somehow connected to forestry. Mm-hmm. Over recent years, we've seen a lot of mill closures. We've seen a reduction in the amount of the mountain pine beetle harvest because there's so much that has been harvested so quickly and that's going to reduce over the years to come, we're told. Um, have you seen a decline in the level of forestry and the impact on the economy? Yes, I totally, totally have. 
you know, um, we, we've been working very, very hard in our local community. We have a coalition group of old, old industry government and indigenous players in the community that work together to try and find the gaps and try and make it so we can keep the whole show going together. But the amount of, I wouldn't, I don't want to say risks, but problems that we're facing into the future. A lot of them are coming from outside the area, uh, whether that be through government regulation, uh, old growth forest logging bans that are, people are trying to ask for. So we really, we do feel that we are under threat of some sort in our industry. Yeah. And you've told me in the past about First Nations in the community and their involvement in forestry. Can you elaborate a little about that? Because it's quite a phenomenon in Burns Lake. Yes. I'm actually very proud to, to talk about this. So we have two community forests in the Lakes District. One is Burns Lake Community Forest, which we have uh, direct uh, benefit agreements with our First Nation partners so that everyone gets equal share. We are also part of Chinook Community Forest, which is really unique because it has six separate First Nations, local and regional government, all involved in it with equal shares. So we are partners with our First Nations. Beyond that, um, Burns Lake Native Development Corporation uh, which is a conglomerate of uh, all the bands together. They also have partial ownership in our sawmills, which means that, how can I put this? Indigenous people aren't involved in the industry. Indigenous people are part of the community and the whole community is involved in forestry. It doesn't matter what skin color you are or what culture you have. Everyone here works hard and depends on the forest industry. Mm-hmm. You spent a lot of time in regional groupings and across the province through your work in municipal government, Charlie. Um, how would you uh, compare Burns Lake and what you've just described, its its forest profile and economy, to other communities? Is Burns Lake really exceptional? Is it alone? Or are there many others like it? You know, Burns Lake is both exceptional and one among many. Uh, so our integration with First Nations right into our community uh, really is a true testament of the people here. We are a very connected community. We look after each other. It doesn't matter who you are, where you came from. Um, so I'd say that having the richness of the First Nations around us makes us unique. It is also with our abilities. However, we are just like every other small town in BC that has a mill, a few logging companies, and is trying to keep the people fed. You know, there's so many of us all the way from north of Hope to the Yukon border, there is tons of small communities that are suffering right now. What's the solution to that? Personally, I feel the best solution to that is to give control of the forest to the communities. So our, uh, our local coalition, which consists of indigenous, local government, regional government, and all industrial players, we are able to look at a problem and come up with outside the box solutions to how we can fix these problems. Instead of working so much on competing against each other and trying to get that dollar in your hand instead of your neighbors, we're trying to get the dollars into all of our hands and share it. I'd like to ask you about the connections between communities. You know, there's, there's many communities you say that are somewhat like Burns Lake, but there's also connections between them. And I'm thinking our listeners in Kamloops, I mean, everyone's aware of the Domtar uh, mill right there in Kamloops. It depends on having inputs from different places because uh, that that uh, uh, sawdust doesn't 
come from just around Kamloops. It's probably trucked in from uh, all kinds of other areas. Maybe Burns Lake too. Um, fiber what would happen? Hmm? Fiber security. Fiber security. Yeah. Um, what what would happen? What's the trickle down effect on communities that have got manufacturing and forest products if you have disruptions further up the supply chain, for example, in, in Burns Lake and others like it? What? How does that work and what's at risk here? Oh, well, I think supply chain is a good term to use because uh, it creates a chain reaction. It really does. So um, if a mill has to stop production because wood isn't moving, whether it be from ports or whatever myriad of issues outside of our area, if the trains aren't moving the wood out, the mill isn't going to be cutting the lumber. If the mill isn't cutting the lumber, they are going to be taking the trees in. If they are taking the trees in, we have nowhere to sell our, sell our harvested wood. If we're not working, that means all the industries that support logging and milling, so parts, uh, groceries, hairdressers, everything that goes into supporting it also gets hurt. And it turns it into this huge, huge, it, I almost don't want to call it triple, a trickle-down effect. I want to call it a, um, a, a force multiplier almost is what it does. Mm-hmm. Because what this small little uh, blip in a otherwise uh, positive market forecast, what that little blip can mean to us is essentially the rug being pulled up from address. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the lower mainland, I mean, we don't think of it as a forest community. And it doesn't really act like one, but the truth is that they have all these professional services. They have transport logistics, you know, parts manufacturing that support the forest industry. And I think people live really well in Vancouver. And part of that is because we have this, this forest industry as well as mining and all the other resource industries from rural BC or from beyond hope as, uh, we like to joke, um, you know, in your, in your discussions recently at UBCM, and this is one of the things we're talking about here today, Charlie on Forest Works. And by the way, I'm your host, Stuart Muir. I'm here with Charlie Rensby, who's a, a, a counselor with the village of Burns Lake. Um, in your discussions, Charlie, with your colleagues from the Vancouver area, who maybe are fighting for this old growth ban, whatever that is, um, where's the common ground? I mean, are you seeing the emergence of a kind of reasonable discussion about this topic? Uh, no. Actually, I'm not. No. I'm seeing people become. <laughs> well, that's not encouraging. I'm seeing people become more polarized, and they're essentially sticking their head into their own echo chamber. It's like that with all sorts of political issues, but very much so with the resource industry. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's. There's a lot of people who think of logging as a dirty. It's bad for the environment. It's it's this terrible thing. Everyone has watched Fern Gully as a kid. Terrible, but the reality of the situation is we are in a renewable resource industry. The trees that we cut down will be replanted. The materials that come from these trees then go into building buildings, homes, houses, what have you, at a better price to the environment because we are using thin synthetics. We are using smelters and all sorts of other things to create these products. It's a sawmill. Uh-huh. So it's way more energy efficient. And besides that, I think I'll just touch on this quickly. There's a lot of people who are very quick to pass judgment on people who live in small communities and in rural areas for the jobs that we do. And they do, they complain about our mining, they complain about our forestry, they complain about everything. They do this from phones that are made out of minerals that we mine. They live in houses that are made of 
wood that we cut. So I think we do need to get closer together. We do need to look at the common good and, and what we can focus on together. But it's so polarizing in this day and age. And I can't, it's just the way society is going with a lot of things. Hey, Charlie, I live in Victoria. And recently our city council said, we're going to ban plastic bags in stores. You can't get one. If you want to have a plastic bag to carry your stuff home, you got to bring that bag yourself. But they will provide you with a paper bag. Well, they'll sell you one for two bits. And it's a nice big craft pa- paper bag, you know, brown, solid. You can carry a lot of groceries in one of those bags. Actually, I love them. Um, but it's 25 cents. You got to pay extra for it. And to me, it, it struck me as a bit ironic because recently city of Victoria passed, even though it doesn't have any forest operations in the city, uh, although it's a large clear cut that's permanent and there will be no forest that ever grows here, uh, probably ever again, but, uh, they, they banned, voted, voted in support of banning old growth forestry for communities like yours and every other community in the province. And then at the same time, they're bringing in this law that makes me buy a paper bag to bring my groceries home in. And that paper bag is for sure made at least in part with old growth fibers because of the sawdust. And I know it's got some green branding on it where it's a green bag. Well, it's a brown paper bag and it's it's ultimately made, even if it's made with recycled paper, it's got old growth, right? Agreed? Yeah. Agreed. yeah. So, I mean, we're seeing a double standard there where people do one thing on the one hand, a and another thing on the other hand that are completely contradictory, even uh, hypocritical, but no one's batting an eyelash about it. I mean, does that kind of drive you crazy when you're seeing similar conversations that you're in? Well, they like to say the north of hope is hopeless, but um, yeah, it's beyond frustrating. And it's, yeah. it is 100% hypocritical. It's, it, it, it's cutting off your nose to spite your face is what it is. Mm. It, People who live in glass houses should not throw stones. And my heavens, if, if only they could pass resolutions on dumping sewage into the ocean by the millions of gallons instead of focusing on our trees that we have way up here. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, this is the problem, is that people who have no idea what it takes to live up here, what it takes to work in the industry, what the industry is actually about, are making broad, broad accusations and decisions on what we do for a living without even bothering to talk to us. Mm-hmm. Now, now, Charlie, there's probably someone listening this morning who is he- hearing this and saying, wait a minute, um, I've been told that uh, we're running out of old growth. We're about to cut down the last tree or down to the last 1% or 3%. Um, they've been told maybe that uh, logging causes forest fires. I know that's one thing I, I see in social media. And uh, they're uh, told that um, for the overall good of the climate, we need to stop logging. Um, those are three things. Um, I'd like to just go through those and uh, help others to understand what a perspective such as yours uh, reflects on these issues. So, so let's start with that first one. We're running out of old growth. True or false, Charlie? Absolutely false. Absolutely false. And you can't just look at old growth for being the age of the trees. You have to look at old growth for what they provide the ecosystem. Does that old growth provide an ecosystem for plants, birds, and animals to live in? Or is it so thick with fallen down trees that nothing can live in there? That is so right there. What, what do you want your old growth to be? Do you want it to just be a stand of old trees or do you want it to be an ecosystem? These are two completely different things that people might have to start asking themselves. Now, I've also been hearing 
this claim that forestry causes um, wildfires. Is that true or false? That is complete and utterly false. So up in the interior, except for a couple of small areas, such as each forest around Prince George area, much of the interior forest is a fire-based ecosystem. That means that our trees, they grow up to a mature age of 80 to 130, possibly 106, depending on where you are. It gets to that age. They are mature. They become diseased with or get bugs. They start falling down. Then the fire comes through from lightning or whatever natural source caused the fire, and it burns it. It then has that ash rejuvenates the soil, and then it all starts over again. So it's cyclical. It's 100% cyclical. So what we have done that actually caused the fires is we took fire away from the ecosystem. We stopped broadcast burning after we logged. So we, we messed up by listening to the bureaucrats in Victoria who said we weren't allowed burning our blocks afterwards. So what this is doing is this is building huge amounts of leftover fiber and fuel in the ground. And we can't do anything about it because our hands are tied. So it'll burn anyways. We're going in and we're trying to make money off of stuff that'll burn anyways. Uh-huh. However, the government needs to let us reintroduce fire to the landscape. And you will see that fires are no longer a big thing. There is reasons why indigenous people used to do controlled burns before uh, white contact, right? So we, we, and this is really where it comes into that we can't be listening to someone in some of our city. We need to work with our local partners, indigenous and non-indigenous to accomplish mm-hmm. Yeah, and Charlie, this um, idea of a connection between forestry and climate, I mean, there there must be connections in different ways, and there there are for sure. Um, yet, the idea that they're all negative um, is one hotly debated. Uh, most professional foresters, uh, forest scientists, uh, uh, would dispute the idea that uh, having an active economic forest uh, industry is is negative for climate. Where do you come in on this? Uh, having a forest industry is actually good for the climate. So um, I would just like to remind anyone who's listening that a mature tree does not consume as much carbon dioxide as young trees that are growing very, very fast with a bunch of underbrush and grass around it. So a young forest that has been worked commercially uh, uh, thinned, what have you, will actually add be more of a carbon sink than your old growth forest. Old growth doesn't grow that fast when it gets to that age. It doesn't t- absorb that much carbon. Young forests, the rejuvenation process, that is what absorbs the carbon. So for someone to say, oh, you know, we're we're damaging our, our environment. You know, it, there's some to be said about, uh, about uh, water, but a lot of that has to do with the mountain pine beetle that came in and cleared off and killed so many hectares of forest. So that's the mountain pine beetle that is the biggest threat to our environment that and the damage from it we are still trying to clean up and rehabilitate what happened from that melon pine needle and might i add might i add mm-hmm. that had we been given the ability to burn tweetsworth park when the mountain pine beetle epidemic started we would not be dealing with a mountain pine peel beetle today numerous times my father spent millions of government dollars getting gelled helicopters ready to go and start fires. And he would come up to one bureaucrat in Victoria who would have to sign off on it. And he said, no. And that is why we have millions and millions of dead hectares is because 
The people who knew better weren't allowed to nip it at the bud when it first happened. Charlie, that's really shocking. You're listening to Forest Works. I'm your host, Stuart Muir. I'm with Charlie Rensby, counselor from the village of Burns Lake. We're talking about forestry. I'd like to come back to this um, urban-rural divide because that's what it is in, in BC right now. We see different parts of the, the province going in different directions. It seems to be causing a lot of grief. Just in the last minute or so we've got here today, Charlie, tell me, where are we headed? What's a way to kind of break this impasse where we have these these unreasonable claims, as you've characterized them, uh, around uh, things like old growth? What's a way to move past that? The way to move past that is to let communities manage the forest for their own values. Mm -hmm. So our community, we have First Nations, we have non-First Nations, we have industry, we have everyone working together. Let us manage our forest for our values. Is anyone listening to that? Do you think that's going to happen? You know, I've been working on on forestry specifically since 2018 when I first got elected. Uh, We were told that uh, our EAC was going to get cut back by... Your, your annual cut. allowable cut. And uh, and we organized a rally to show the government that that wouldn't happen. That then started two years of negotiations over around our AAC. So you'd be amazed what a small community can do when they put the government's back towards the wall. Mm-hmm. Look, Charlie, this has been a fascinating discussion. We've really just started to scrape the surface of it. I think there's uh, future shows where you can come back and get into some of this in more detail. Uh, I'd like to thank you for your work standing up for not only Burns Lake residents, but the work you do through the the regional bodies in municipal government in BC is, I think, benefiting people much further away, including in this community here um, and across the province. So thanks for that, and I look forward to your ongoing work standing up for forestry. <laughs> Thank you so much, Stuart, for having me. And uh, and just one quick message to, to all of the, mm-hmm. the people who are listening. There are a lot of divides in resource and environment right now. But when we come together, work towards the common good of everyone. We will get to where we need to be and we will have a better tomorrow. Charlie Rensby, thanks for being here. That was Charlie Rensby, a counselor with the village of Burns Lake. I'm your host for ForestWorks, Stuart Muir. I'm the founder and executive director of the ResourceWorks Society, a not-for-profit based in Vancouver. Thanks for tuning in today on Radio NL. Join me again this time next week.